Well, I'm excited about digging into Deuteronomy chapter 6 with you all. The last couple of weeks, we have focused on knowing God as the gracious one. We focused on knowing God's heart for us. And now we're going to look at God's, uh, what God requires of his people, what he wants, what he demands of his people, uh, namely to love him with our whole being and lead our family into loving the Lord as well. Amen. So one of the, the great heartaches of the Christian experience is the reality that we've all failed to love God as we ought to. The reality that God says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we fall so short of giving him all that affection, all that devotion, all that love that he rightfully deserves. And we love other things and other people. And we put other things and people, even good things, the gifts that God gives us before him. And it's, it's, it's a heartache. You know, even as I've prepared been preparing and meditating on this this text here in Deuteronomy 6 that God wants us to love him with our whole being. You know, I'm I'm convicted of of how far short I fall of loving God like he demands me to and you to. Yet, I would say his commandments are not burdensome as the the Bible tells us in 1 John. It's not burdensome that he demands that we love him with our whole being. It's actually a good thing that God demands us to love him with all of our heart. It's kind of like telling somebody who loves the the beach to go take a vacation at the beach. To go enjoy. You really need some rest. Go take a vacation at the beach. Ah, oh, man, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and and so loving God with all of our being is actually a good good Thing for us, delightful thing that we get to do activities that we get to engage in things that help us love God more and, and help us experience God more. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. What does it look like to love the Lord your God with all your heart and then lead your family into that? So I'm going to pray and we'll, we'll dig in. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for the testimonies that, that you are bringing about in the lives of your people, and we long to see you work more and more in and through our lives. Um, we, we long for you. I ask that you would meet us here as we open your word, as we hear your word. I pray that you would speak to us, God. Reveal your heart for us, and then, God, teach us, as we sang earlier, teach us to love you more to love you more, to love you more than the best of gifts that we experience, the best of pleasures that we experience here in this life. May you be our greatest treasure, our greatest pleasure, and our greatest delight. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the big idea. Here's where we're going. God demands that we love him with all of our being and that we diligently lead our family in loving him. Now, when we talk about God demanding stuff, I know that that, that can kind of, you know, some of us maybe have some pushback towards that. Like, come on, get, leave me alone. You know, don't put any demands on me. Uh, but God is our creator. God is our redeemer. And specifically here, when, when God gave this command originally, 
God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, and God had delivered them, and now he had loved them well. He had displayed redemptive acts in their life. He had set them free, and now he is is demanding, commanding them to love him with all of their heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And, and that was for their own good, as we'll look at. That was actually the best thing for them. It wasn't a bad thing, and it wasn't a burdensome thing. It was a good thing for them. And so we're going to start by looking at verse 4. This is called the Shema. The Shema. The Shema. Shema means to, to hear, to, to obey, to listen. This is the core confession of Judaism. Uh, Orthodox Jews recite this this command twice a day, and it's called the Shema because the very first word is hear. Hear, O Israel. Shema Israel. The Old Testament. Actually, Jesus even said when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, on this, the law and the prophets are, are fulfilled or they hang. This right here sums up the whole Scripture, love God and love people. This is the heart of Christianity. Love God with your whole being and love people. And this is the centerpiece of the book of Deuteronomy. You could say that the rest of Deuteronomy is kind of a commentary on how to love God, on how to love God. So love God with all your heart. So Shema Israel. So here we go. Verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you off the face of the earth. Little phrase here, the Lord your God is one. There's a couple different interpretations depending on which Bible translation you have. Like the NIV uh, renders it like this, the Lord, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Translators and commentators will lean towards the uniqueness of God. So, so the, the Canaanite people in which where the Israelites were dwelling and going into the land of Canaan, they, they worshipped many gods, the gods of Baal. They were, they were, they were polytheists. So they worshipped many gods. And so this, this is a radical statement. This is a countercultural statement revealing, first of all, who God is. That God is one. He is, there is no one like him. 
There's no one who compares to him. He is, he's the one and only. He's the one true God. So there's uniqueness, and then there's also exclusivity. So there's also, he's, he's the one true God. He's, he's our only God. We're not going to worship all these other gods that the nations worship because God is a jealous God, and he's the only one who is worthy of all our love and affection and worship and devotion. Amen? And so the Lord our God is one. This is important for the Christian to get this. This is important for the Jew to get this, that God is to be the, the only one that we give all our heart, soul, affection to. Um, I would say this, too, that this doesn't teach against the Trinity. As Christians, we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that our God is three in one, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So one commentator says this, Yahweh was to be the sole object of Israel's worship and allegiance and affection. The word one or alone implies monotheism. There's no one like him. And then we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. So the word heart was regarded as the seat of the mind and will as well as a wide range of emotions. The term soul is difficult to define, but it seems to refer to the source of life and vitality even of one's being. The main point is this, love God with all of your being, with all of your, your faculties, with all everything that you have within you that God's given you, a heart, a soul, a mind, a will, all that, love him with all of that, okay? Not just, not just, our, um, not just our will, okay? Not just, just merely making decisions, but not have affection and emotion for God, right? Not just... Don't just love him with our emotions and just, you know, talk sentimental, talk about God. We're affectionate about him, but yet there's no decisions that actually display that we really love him. Both, both are necessary. Husbands um, and wives, you know this. You know, we just had Valentine's Day this last week. You know, wives, you don't want your husbands to just unaffectionately tell you that they love you. You want to hear affection and love for you, not just, not just this sense of, well, it's Valentine's Day, so I've got to go get some flowers for you. I got my wife some roses on, on Valentine's Day just because it is, it is a duty. It is a duty. But I delight in pleasing my wife. I delight to make her happy. I get pleasure out of seeing her face light up. Actually, I was concerned because I got the, the bottom of the barrel. It was, it was Tuesday night, Valentine's Day, and I stopped in Whole Foods. And, man, they, they, they will, they, they're rightfully called whole check because they will take your money with, with good quality stuff. But I got, I got some roses, and I was concerned about those roses not being, like, the best. And, and she ended up, they were actually better than than way better than what I thought. And my my wife just enjoyed them and delighted in them, and I was pleased to please my wife because I have affections, strong affections and desire and delight in my wife. The same should should be directed towards God. God likens his people to be like his bride. He's the husband, he's the faithful husband who affectionately loves his bride and he demands those affections be returned to him. So God wants us to love, love him with all of our being. You know, and there's times where we're in, in loving somebody, we may not have those feelings where they, where they should be, those affections as they should be. 
Um, I think we, we, in those moments when we don't feel affections towards our spouse or <clears throat> we don't feel affections towards God, then we just need to make the decision that we're going to love them, even if we, those feelings are, aren't there. But I wouldn't boil down love to merely being a decision. I think it's more than that. I think it's, it's all of our being. It's not just us exercising our, our will towards somebody. It, it's, there's also affection, and there's also um, there's action. There's, there's might. There's strength that's invested towards their good. So actually, a couple different ways that, that I've kind of broken this down. What does it look like to love God with, with all of our being? So affection, is, affections are one. So do things that stir your affections for God. Let your affections for God be stirred up. And, and by the way, to, know, to, lo- to really love somebody, you have to know them. Like you have to know the person that you love if you're going to love them. You've got to have a relationship with, with them. And the more we get to know God, the more we're going to love him. The more we really do know him, the more we love him. Jesus said this. He said in John seventeen twenty six, he said, praying to his father, he said, I have declared your name to them and will declare it so that the love that you love me with would be in them. I've, I've, I've made known to them what you're like, Father. I've declared your name. The name, often when the Bible speaks about God's name in Scripture, it reveals aspects of his character of who he is i declared who you are to them so that that same love would be in them so to love somebody we have to to know them um and god is jealous for our affections he's jealous when when we get more excited we're more excited about football facebook food good good things Three S. You know what? What? Whatever. Whatever's drawing our affections away from loving God. God's jealous for that. I mean, it can even be our spouse. You know, this is this is first. This is the first command. This is the first and greatest. And if we don't get this one right, then we're gonna all the other ones of loving others and 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 loving our family, leading our family, are not gonna be played out as they should be. And so this is first, this is top priority. This is the one thing, this is the weightiest thing that should matter to us when it comes to our relationship with God. Christianity is about relationships, relationship with God and relationship with others and love being expressed in and through those relationships. So loving him with all of our affection, all of our attention, this is huge. Now, ladies, you know that if, if your husband is not giving you attention, you don't feel loved. Is that not true? One of the guys, one of the a very practical way we can express love to our wives is just give them both ears and both eyes. Give them our undivided attention. Give them our time and our attention off of, off of the phone, off of the computer, off the TV, off of whatever else is going on. And look them in the eyes. Give them your ears. And, and that just communicates love to, to wives. Does, does it not? Am I wrong? Do I, need some, do I need to be corrected here, wives? Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Okay, giving them your affection and your attention are expressions of love. When we do this with God, it's an expression of love. 
and Deuteronomy, listening and loving go together. I mean, there's this kind of, you know, over and over he hits this back and forth. Listen and love. Shema. Shema. So listen. Hear. Oh, hear, O Israel. So loving God starts with us first listening and giving him our attention and getting to know who he is. And then as we know who he is, love and affection for him rises within us. Does that make sense? So I'm just trying to describe to you what I've experienced in my relationship with God. These are, these are some things that are, this is helpful language for me, just affections, attention. The other thing is allegiance, giving God our highest allegiance. God demands this. God demands that we don't love husband or wife, even our children. Jesus, when he talked about discipleship and following him, he demanded highest allegiance, and he used pretty pretty strong language even he used language like like this he said unless you hate father mother brother sister and 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 forsake all and come follow me then you can't be my disciple now obviously jesus isn't teaching to have ill will towards anybody we know that for 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 fact but but he was teaching the the priority and the allegiance that he deserves as lord of our lives that God was demanding, Yahweh was demanding of Israel that, that he have all their allegiance. And lastly, actions. So actions express our love for God. There's a quote here by, um, by J. Oswald Sanders that says, I think I love him because there are things I refrain from doing for no other reason than that he forbids them. While I do other things simply because he desires them. This is a great quote. I posted this on our Facebook page here, and you can reshare that. I think I love him because there are things I refrain from doing for no other reason than that he forbids them, while I do other things simply because he desires them. So God is a jealous God. Um, Verse 16 or 15, it says, For the Lord your God who is in your midst is a jealous God. Um, this, when we hear this, this kind of rubs us wrong, or we, I'm sure many of us struggle with this. Oprah, Oprah Winfrey had a problem with this. When she, when she realized that the Bible says God is a jealous God, you know, many maybe take stuff like this to, to think of God as like this egomaniac, you know. He's just this prideful, like, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, described him, it, well, said he's not like a, like an old lady just like longing for compliments, like tell me how good I am. That's the way C.S. Lewis w- addressed that. So it's not that God is like insecure and he needs our praise and affirmation so that he doesn't like have an identity crisis. Okay, it, it's that's not the issue at all. He is self sufficient. He he actually doesn't even need us. Okay. But he delights in us, and he wants us to be close to him. He created us for his pleasure, for his glory, for his honor, so that we can know him and love him and be loved by him, and that we can display the glory of who he is. And so let's wrestle with this concept here. The Lord your God is a jealous God. Because he's our creator, because he's our redeemer, because he's Lord, he can rightfully make demands upon our lives. And it's a good thing. And everything that God demands is good. And everything he demands, he, he empowers us to, to walk out. He enables us to do in relationship with him, through him, with, with him working in us. 
So, so this, this is a concept. How many of y'all struggle with that? Maybe even hearing that now, this idea that God's jealous. Anybody? Here. Okay, so here, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, says this about God's jealousy. God's jealousy is not a compound of frustration, envy, and spite as human jealousy so often is, but it appears instead a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. It's a praiseworthy zeal to preserve something supremely precious. It was the same zeal that was burning within Jesus that that angered him, that caused him to flip tables over in the temple because there was some corruption. And God's name and character, the the, the picture of God was being distorted. And and, uh, there was a den of the, the temple, which should have been a place where people came and learned about God. It was that. But, but it, there was distortion, and people, thieves and robbers were taking advantage, uh, selling stuff in the temple. And it angered Jesus because it was, it was, it was twisted. It was, and so that the zeal of the Lord burned within him. So God, God is jealous. He's jealous for his name. He's jealous for his glory. He, he's jealous that he rightfully be represented in the earth. That he not be misrepresented and misunderstood and gotten wrong by people. He's jealous for the glory of his name. And he's also jealous for the affections of his people. The allegiance of his people. That love relationship he has with his people. Sam Storms says this about the jealousy of God. Divine jealousy is his zeal to protect a love relationship or to avenge it when it is broken. Jealousy in God is that passionate energy that provokes and stirs and moves him to take action against whatever or whoever stands in the way of his enjoyment of what he loves and desires. The intensity of God's anger as threats, the, the intensity of God's anger at threats to this relationship is directly proportionate to the depths of his love. Get that last phrase, that last phrase there. It's, it's. Directly, the intensity of God's anger at threats to this relationship is directly proportionate to the depths of his love. You know, it's, it's proper for a husband and a wife to have um, a jealousy for their husband when another man or a woman is drawing the affections of your spouse away. Is that not right? Is that not proper? Is that not fitting? Uh, if my wife wasn't jealous, if there was a, a lady drawing me away then there, there would be an issue. My wife has affections for me that if, if, if there, there's an intruder in our relationship, she is rightfully going to feel feelings of jealousy, just as I would if there was another man drawing her away, drawing her affections. As, as a husband, as a, any, any healthy marriage has those affections that, that should lead to jealousy if it's being violated, if there's an intruder in the relationship. And that is the kind of jealousy that God has for his people in the most purest sense. See, this is, this is difficult for us to get because most of the jealousy we see is, is works of the flesh and just insecure people who aren't content with what they have, aren't secure in who they are, and they're just, they're just selfish and they're jealous and, and they're just they're a mess. And so we think of jealousy like that, but... But God's jealousy is pure. There's a purity in that jealousy, just like 
just like there's a purity in his anger. God is, is it's right for God to get angry at sin because sin damages relationship with him and relationship with others. And it's a distortion of how he created us to be and live. Okay. And so God is right. And thankfully, God is slow to anger. Aren't you all glad about that? He's slow to anger. I told a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned how my son, I was explaining God getting angry to my son. And he was like, I thought God doesn't get angry, Dad. And I said, he's slow to anger. And I started singing the song, he's rich and love and slow to anger. And it just clicked for him. You know, it clicked just that, that little the song, he loves that song. It's like one of his favorite worship songs. And it clicked for him that God is slow to anger. So he's a jealous God. He, he is jealous for you in the purest sense. Okay? He's jealous for your affections. He wants all your allegiance, all your affections, all your devotion. He wants you to, to be in relationship with him. And, and if you're going after anything else that, that affects that relationship, if you're going after any other gods, it's going to move him. He yearns jealously, the scripture tells us. Okay, so next point is that God, God's demand for us to love and obey him is for our good. So this is, this is a good thing. It's for our good. Notice in verse 24, it says, The Lord commanded us to do all these statues, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. God knew that if the Israelites were to go after the, the Canaanite gods, that they would be a snare for them, that they would be destroyed, that they would destroy one another, and that even God would bring his discipline and punishment on them for forsaking him, the fountain of living water. Uh, Deuteronomy ten twelve through 13, it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but that you fear the Lord your God, that you walk in his ways to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statues of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. You see, God knows that he is the only person who can rightfully receive all of our love and affection and attention and devotion and allegiance and not break our hearts into pieces because, because he, he lets us down. Because he will never let us down, and he's the only one who rightfully deserves that place. So giving your heart affections to God is a safe place. And you don't have to fear him breaking your heart, disappointing you, abusing you, doing you wrong. There is a safe place to give your heart affections to, and it is for our good. In Psalm 16, verse 4, verse 4, it says, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Idolatry leads to misery. It leads to sorrow. It leads to your heart being broken and trampled and you just being beat down by giving yourself to whatever the idol was. And, and idols can be even gifts that a good, our good God gives us. We can make idols out of the good things in life. And so, so a theme throughout Deuteronomy is don't forget the Lord your God. As you go into the good land and you experience the good life and you got good food and you got good family time and you got good health and you got a good job and things are going your way, don't forget the Lord your God. Because those are the times when it's most easy to worship the gifts rather than the giver. 
when everything's going smooth. When, when times are hard and tough, it's easier to, to recognize and lean on and depend on God because that's all you got and you realize that. But even when you have all the stuff, he should, we should still have that attitude that he's all we have. He's, he's our treasure. So notice the contrast in Psalm 16. Sorrow and joy. Putting God first. Him being our, our chosen portion. Him being our lot. Him being our treasure. The one we delight in. His presence. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those who choose him and worship him and love him will experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And you know what? That can, that can happen here in this life. That joy and those pleasures can greatly be experienced in this life. And we'll have unhindered joy and pleasure in God for all eternity. Heaven's not going to be boring, by the way. Don't ever think that heaven's going to be boring. Don't ever be in despair about eternity. Like, what if it gets boring? I remember as a young Christian, I, I had those thoughts and had those feelings. Like, oh, what, what, what am I going to do? I know I'm going to heaven, but what am I going to do for all eternity? And it just kind of got scary for a moment. I'm laying at night on my bed trying to go to sleep, and I'm just thinking about heaven and eternity. And I felt fear. And as soon as I felt that, I got down on my knees to pray because I was afraid. It was like... What if it gets boring in heaven? <laughs> no basketball, or maybe there is basketball. I don't know. Um, and, and so as soon as I got down on my knees, the presence of God filled my room in a very real way for me. I mean, I, I felt the presence of God. There was a strong sense that he's here, and I got this huge smile on my face. And I'm a teenager. I'm 17 years old. I'm a new Christian. I just... I experienced God right there. I drew near to God, and he drew near to me. He met me right where I was at, and I experienced his joy right here in the land of the living, the joy of his presence. And so that's the contrast. That's the contrast between idolatry, sorrow, brokenheartedness, woes in life, pain. We can save ourselves a lot of pain by not worshiping idols and not taking the good gifts that God gives us and making them ultimate, making them idols. As I talk about loving God with all our being, there is this sense within me that this is, this is a high call. This, and and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not preaching this as if I'm, like, walking this out perfectly, but this is, this is what we're going for, okay? This is what we're aiming at. So I'm, I am committed to loving God like this, okay, regardless of whether I feel like it or whether times are tough, or, or what, I'm committed to loving God like this. But this is important, that we love God. First John 4.19 tells us, Kevin mentioned this in worship a couple of times, we love him because he first loved us. You see, as Christians, we, it, it doesn't depend on us to merely muster up some, some willpower, love, and affection for God in our own strength. Thankfully, we're not left to our own resources to, to, to produce this kind of love that he demands. Actually, he first gives it to us. He first showers us down with his love. And that's what happened with Israel. God responded to their cries. He heard their cries. He knew their, knew their cry, delivered them out of Egypt, set them free, gave them life. God, God had loved them. And then in response, he demanded that, they, that, that they love him as well. And so that flows from first receiving. 
love from God. So the last two weeks we talked about God, how he's good, how he's gracious, um, knowing his heart for us. And that's important. If we're going to love God like this, then we need to know that his love for us is 100%. That he is not holding back his love for us and affection for us. He is committed to our good. Romans 5.5 5 says that he pours out his love into our heart by the Spirit. Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he, he loved us even when we were unlovely, even when we were his enemies. He loved us and gave his life for us. Christianity is first receiving that love from God, getting his love for us, knowing his love for us first, and then giving it back to him, loving him in response. Okay, so lastly, lead your family. Love the Lord in leading your family. God says in verse uh, uh, 6 and 7, he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So God wanted that love and devotion for him to be transferred to the next generation. And this is the responsibility of parents. We have several parents here today. And I'm sure each of us have felt times of despair where you've failed as a parent to teach and train and lead your, your children as, as you know you ought to. I think we all feel that. And I don't want to just do a drive-by guilting here on, on parenting. You need to be better parents. Okay, because I know we all probably feel that we need to be better parents. Uh, but let me just say this. It starts with us loving God well first. If we're going to be better parents and better friends or better spouses, it starts with us that having that one thing set on loving God. And that everything else flowing from that relationship with him. Okay? Putting him first and, and priority. So it's, it's God and then, then family. family. Even our family can become an idol. Even our family can become an idol. We can worship our, our family. And family is a gift from God and it shouldn't be... We shouldn't be worshipped, but we're we're told to diligently teach our children to teach them to teach them to love God. In chapter five, he mentioned the Ten Commandments before this, so you definitely Israel was to definitely teach the commandments to the children. Uh, but the commandments are summed up in these the statement love love God and love your neighbor right love the Lord your God love your neighbor as yourself. So teach them diligently when you sit in your house and so. So three words here. Matt Chandler has a, uh, a message on family discipleship, and he hits on just three aspects of what that looks like. And so consistency is one of them. So, so when you sit down, as, as you're going through life, you're, you're teaching them, you're training them, you're talking about the Lord. Um, and I don't think that means that we have to do, you know, like every Friday family devotional, you know, that it has to look like that. I think that as we live life, as we, as we drive, when we travel, when we walk, uh, when we sit down, when we lie down, when we rise, we're talking about the Lord. We're talking about who God is and that it, there's a consistency in that. Whatever we love the most, we talk about, right? Or whoever we love the most, we talk about that. So, again, loving God is, is, is uh, priority here. So there's consistency involved in that. Be consistent in, in talking about the Lord, um, teaching your children about the Lord. And then there's clarity involved in that. Make it clear to your children what God wants for them, what God says. You know, teach them. Make, help them to understand. Break it down 
to their level. You know, help them to get it. Make it clear. Um, and then there's creativity. Uh, be creative. Uh, use moments, teaching moments. When, when Jesus was teaching his disciples, you know, so many times, like, he responded to something that was happening. So some, somebody would come and ask a question, or there was this tragedy, this tower that fell down. Somebody would ask a question, and he would use those moments. There was this argument, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? The apostles are arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. These guys were being knuckleheads, and Jesus was just gracious and patient with them. But he used it as, a, as an opportunity to teach them about humility and service. Like, if you want to be great, then serve people, you know? Um, and so use the moments, you know, when, when, you know, one of your kids is getting out the milk gallon from the refrigerator and poof, it, it goes everywhere in the kitchen. Use those moments to talk about grace and, 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 and how God cleans up our messes. That's <laughs> so much easier said than done. I mean, immediately you just feel the emotions rising up within you. Oh, I have to go get more milk, and I have to clean this up. And I mean, it just there's there are so many opportunities like that as a parent to to be frustrated and to get angry at our kids, to not be slow to anger. Um, but but those are the moments to teach them about who God is. That He's slow to anger. That He's gracious and compassionate. He's abounding in steadfast love. You know, when when my son asked me. God gets angry? Yes. You know, to, to, to explain that to him. There's special moments. Um, so my, my daughter, four-year-old, turned four on Friday. And so the, the siblings, they have an opportunity to learn how to rejoice with those who rejoice. And so birthdays are a great opportunity to teach our children to not be selfish and jealous about the toys that other people get, but rejoice with them rejoice with those who rejoice be happy with those who are celebrating and, and, and getting blessed because it's going to be you one day and you're going to want people to do the same and so that's one way that we can love so use those use those moments those special moments to be teaching moments and there's so many opportunities that that we have to do this with our children when we and we can do this when we drive we can do this when we, at night, and we should. This is God was telling Israel, do this throughout the day. Talk about God. Talk about the commands. Talk about serving him and walking with him and obeying him. So there's diligence involved. This does not just happen. Okay, you don't coast into discipling your, your children. I mean, you, you can coast in discipling them in some way, but it won't be a godly way. Right? You know? So to, to disciple them in, in God's way, it takes intentionality, it takes diligence, which would mean consistency, clarity, and creativity. Being creative, being thoughtful, thinking through, how can I explain? Um, you know, one, I heard one about one family teaching their children about grace and being saved by grace. And so they told their kids, they said, okay, you have to get to the top of the stairs and you can't touch any of the stairs. You ready? Go. They couldn't figure it out. They, they, there was no way. They could get to the top of the staircase without touching any of the stairs. So then the dad says, okay, jump on. You did it. That's called grace. You couldn't do it. And daddy did it for you. Be creative. Use creative ways to teach and explain and make clear the gospel 
to your children. Make clear who God is to your children. They, they want to know. They're hungry and they're so, they're so teachable. They're so palatable. You can, you can teach them now. I mean, the children can be some of the best disciples you'll ever have. So train them up and raise them up. So some of the ways you can do that too is with, with music. I think music is a great way. Israel had the Psalms. Okay, the Psalms were helpful ways to transfer uh, truth to the next generation. And the Psalm, I love the Psalms. The Psalms are, are great. You know, they're, there's book of, of prayers and songs that Israel sung and, and prayed. And it's a prayer book and it's a song book. And, and so music is a powerful way to teach your children. There's, there's, um, there's a whole series of, of worship albums called Seeds Family Worship. And you can get those and play those. Play those in the car. Just pop in a seeds family worship and let the CD sing Shema Israel. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God. You know, there are creative ways that we can use we can use music to help teach our kids. And by the way, if if they 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 can see what mom and dad really love. Your children can see what mom and dad really love. Their mom and dad love by based on what their parents get excited about and talk about and spend their money on, spend their time on. We're going to do this. Uh, they, they can tell by watching mom and dad. By the way, discipleship is more than just teaching them with our lips, but it's also teaching them with their lives. Loving God, praising God, singing to God, crying tears because they're moved by the beauty of who God is and God's love. That's, that's impactful. That impresses children. That, that influences children. So music and worship is, is a way to do that. Play worship in your home, uh, especially songs that, that are, are just saturated in the Bible. Media. Media can be a great distraction from discipleship, or it can be a great tool that you can use. We have something at City Church called Right Now Media that you all have access to, and you can let your kids learn some great stuff from Right Now Media. My kids watch a lot of Right Now Media, probably too much. But there's some really good stuff that they learn. They're learning. Hey, Carson might have learned about omniscience from Right Now Media. I don't remember teaching them that. You know, there are things that that you know, little creative ways that can have an impact on on our children. I, you know, if you're gonna use it, if you're gonna let them watch something, then let it be wholesome. If you're gonna watch something. You know, in the home, you're going to turn the TV on and watch a movie or watch a TV show or something. Let it be wholesome. Lead your family into wholesome activities. And then lastly, uh, in discipling our children, uh, it takes personal personal involvement. You know, this this isn't something we can pawn off to a youth pastor. This isn't something we can pawn off to the TV, to the media or a CD or music. Um, this isn't something we can pawn off to a daycare or, or school. Parents have the responsibility. God demands that they diligently teach their children God's ways. And so it takes personal involvement, you getting in there with them, them not only hearing from your lips what God says, but also seeing up close in your life what it looks like to follow God. This was Jesus' model for discipleship. He chose 12 men, and they were with him for three years, and they saw Jesus pray. They they heard him preach. They saw him do miracles. They saw him give. They saw him be, be friends of sinners. They saw the way Jesus lived his life, and Jesus discipled them in that way.
So God demands that we love him with all of our being, and that demand is good, and God demands that we lead our family. Um, There is a hymn by Isaac Watts called When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And in that, that hymn, it says this. It says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's the heart of what we're talking about today. So in application, in closing, um, arrange your life around the things that help you love God more. What, what stirs your affections for God? What helps you love God more? Uh, one of the things that's, that's helpful for me is to get up early in the morning and spend time with him. When I hear the birds chirping and just, just to take a walk in the morning in the coolness of the day when it's cool here in, in Dallas, Texas. To walk with him in the cool of the day and, and just that before the kids are up. <laughs> for some reason, that's just a lot more helpful for me to focus my attention on God before uh, the kids are up. To get up early and to spend time with him and, and to read his word and to turn on worship music and listen to worship music. My, my affections for God are stirred when I do that. And then seek to know him better uh, so that you love him more. Seek to know who he is. Get a glimpse. See him and savor him. Behold who he is and then treasure who he is, delight in who he is, rejoice in who he is. And lastly, be intentional and diligent about leading your family into discipleship. And so it takes intentionality. You don't coast into this. We need to encourage one another in this. By the way, on, on Wednesday nights and, and right now, uh, Sunday, we're, we're doing scripture memory verses. Andrew has kind of taken the lead in helping us um, establish kind of a, a, a system for the kids to memorize scripture. And so we're, we're asking them every week, do you have your memory verse? And so they're, they're storing God's word in their hearts, in their minds. I posted a, on Facebook the other day of my, my two-year-old quoting Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And I love to hear that coming from my two-year-old. I love that. And so it's our heart, it's our desire here to make an impact on our children by teaching them to love God. Let them see it in you, parents, and then teach them to love God. Teach them what God says and teach them to worship and serve him. Amen? Father, I thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love, a perfect love that casts out fear. You haven't withheld your love or affections for us. You have set your love and affection on us. You're 100% for us. And I pray that we would be convinced of that here and that we would respond appropriately, appropriately to you by loving you with all of our being. I pray Paul's prayer for the church um, in Ephesus that that by the power of your spirit, God, you would enable us to know the depth and the height and the width of your love and that your love would abound in our lives, that we would ooze with love here, that we would be marked by our love for one another and our love 
for you that we would be more excited and passionate about the things of the kingdom, the things that highlight you. I just pray for anybody here this morning who is struggling, even like I even feel this morning, of just just having affections and, and, and passion for you. God, I pray that you would stir that up.